you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in to see the video version of this. Go to goodreads.com. Actually, you go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. See all the things we're uh, uh, doing videos on and all the wonderful, amazing authors like the one that we have today we'll be interviewing. And you can see all the wonderful books and works they're doing at goodreads.com for just Chris Voss, where everything we're reading or viewing over there as well. There's an Amazon uh, giveaway going on for my book over there if you want to try and get a free copy. We also have Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all all those crazy places the kids are at nowadays where we are taking and sharing the show. So you definitely want to follow the show over there. If you haven't over here, you can even see on Instagram, we broadcast stuff. That's quote unquote live. It's a couple days old, but no one knows the difference. Who cares? So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO Entrepreneur Toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra goodies that we've taken and given away. Uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom-made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out, or order the book wherever fine books are sold. Anyway, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, we have Jeffrey Lewis on the show. He is the author of the book coming out on November 2nd, which was, yes, today. <laughs> there you go. I'm used to being a lead up. So you definitely want to order it today because it's out. Today is a hot day. It's the day when it's got that beautiful, nice uh print that comes right off of it unless you buy the kindle version of course but you can still smell your kindle if you want let's get that fine new print ink smell so the land of cocaine is out on hardcover november 2nd 2021 today definitely want to order that video so you can say you're the first one to read it it's a novel written as a sharp parable of american society addressing love purpose discrimination and poverty and jeffrey is on the show with us today he's gonna be talking about it he has won a string of awards for his novels including the independent publisher's gold medal for literary fiction the independent publisher's gold medal for general fiction and the forward silver medal for fiction his most recent book bealfort bealport i'm sorry bealport a novel of town of a town 
was a 2019 Maine Literary Awards finalist. He also received two Emmy Awards and the Writers Guild of America Award, as well as 10 additional Emmy nominations and six additional Writers Guild nominations for his work as a television writer, most notably for Hill Street Blues and producer. A winner in the Humanitas Prize, the People's Choice Award, a GLAAD Media Award, and two NAACP Image Awards and a Golden Globes nomination. He divides his time between Maine and Los Angeles. Thanks for coming on the show, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. There you go. Hill Street Blues, man. What a show. What a show. That was an amazing show. In fact, now I've got the I've got the tune going through my head. Congratulations on the new book. Today's your launch day, so congratulations. That's always fun for all the work you put into it. Give us your plug so people can find you on the interwebs. My plug is simple. Go either to your independent bookstore in the community where you live and ask for this book. They may well not have it because they can't have everything, but they can sure get it fast. And failing that or is it perfectly good alternative to that go on amazon.com and buy the book and if you happen to like it review it say something nice about it if, if you happen to like it and you can go on my author's page and leave uh comments there you go give us some reviews guys check it out order it up and all that good stuff so what motivated you want to write this book jeffrey that's that's a, it's a good question and i would say it probably is going to get a more complicated answer than than you you would imagine. There you go. Most of my books come about when a number of different things stuck in my memory, my craw, or my imagination uh, fit together in some kind of constellation of events that seem to hang together and and make a story which means something in, in, in usually in societal terms. In this case. There were a number of things. One was in 2016. I'll go back farther than that. In the village where I I spend my summers and fall on the coast of Maine, some years ago, there was rumored to be, and only a rumor, and I didn't know anything more about it than a rumor, that a a couple who had lost a a child in the child's honor was thinking to establish a drug rehabilitation clinic somewhere on the outskirts of the village. Nothing ever happened with that for various reasons, not necessary to go into, but it did stir my imagination as to how this small, quiet main village would have, and law-abiding, I would add, Main village would respond to a drug rehabilitation clinic on its outskirts. Second was, sometime later, I think in 2016, the man who was then the governor of Maine in a news conference, which gained national attention even, so that you may have heard of it and many of your viewers may have heard of it, made some comments about drug dealers who came to Maine from out of state and caused a lot of trouble in Maine by selling their drugs, and then, as he said, half the time getting a white girl pregnant before they went oh, I remember this. Back, back to where they came from in Connecticut. And, and the uh, I don't even want to characterize that statement. It's pretty obvious from the words. Yeah. But it kicked my mind into gear as to how some kids who were not drug dealers coming to the state of Maine but did come from an inner city, namely the Bronx, New York, mm-hmm. would 
would respond on hearing those words. Then uh, there were some other things as well. Years ago in, in, in my life, I spent some time in the criminal justice system in New York as an assistant DA for a couple of years and actually dealt with courthouse diversionary programs quite a bit. That is to say, programs which were established trying to keep kids who were getting in trouble with the law out of incarceration by proposing alternatives to incarceration. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a girlfriend who worked in one of those programs for a while. So I felt then some sympathy. I continue to feel that sympathy as I remember while I was working on Hill Street Blues. And it's remained in, in, in my mind and feelings to this day so that that also, that diversionary program in the, in the Bronx, New York, fictionalized, a fictionalized program, of course, play, plays an important role in the book. And when all those things came together, I began to have the uh, outlines of a book. I would add, lastly, although the, uh, the village portrayed in uh, Land of Cocaine is substantially different from the village that I frequent live in on the coast. In particular, it's different because where I live has a substantial summer community and the, the village and land of cocaine in particular does not. Mm -hmm. uh, nonetheless, my being here and loving the place, really. And awesome. Here, uh, all came together in this book. Awesome. So uh, give us an overall arcing of the book and what's inside. I'm, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, could you give us an overall arcing view of what's in the book, the storyline? I'll try to do that without too many plot explainers. <laughs> roughly, roughly, I think what I said in the, previously may already capture it. A couple, and, and in this case, an extraordinarily rich couple, wealthy couple, because the guy had been an early business guy in Silicon Valley. He had left early. He couldn't take it anymore. He left early. But even if he left early, he left with quite a fortune. He and his wife show up in, in, in this village and, and settle there and raise their child there. And when they uh, uh, lose, a lose that child, they set out to honor his memory when they learn that... Uh, the only wish of his that uh, uh, that they're aware of, anyway, was that some of the kids in who were members of the diversionary program that he was working on in, in the Bronx, New York, in the Bronx courthouse, his wish that they come up to where he had grown up in the idyll on the idyllic coast of Maine for a couple of weeks and live a completely stress-free, trouble-free, obligation-free life. That's the basic setup of the book. It's about, in turn, whether the married couple can survive as a married couple, whether this town or this village can support and, or, or, and deal with the arrival of people who are substantially different from themselves from quite far away, and vice versa, whether these kids, what they do get out of or don't get out of, having been extracted from their lives for a couple of weeks. Hmm. So your novel's set in Sneed's Harbor, Maine. Is that a real place? No, no. <laughs> simple, the simple answer to that. There is, as you may know, there, there is a town across from near, near the George Washington Bridge, New Jersey side of the Hudson River, 
but I believe in New York State called Sneedon's Landing. And I think part of Sneed in the title of this, the name of this village must have been, must be echoing Sneedon's Landing, although I didn't do that consciously. Oh. No such place, but he, this village is situated somewhere, somewhere down east from Bar Harbor, Maine, and the famous Acadia National Park. Does the former governor of Maine, Paul LePage, make an appearance in your book without being named? Is that true? Well, he certainly is not named. It's, 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 he doesn't really make an appearance, but the kids find out about what he said, which, ah. uh, which the kids find out, and the woman who helped bring them to Maine, who was uh, the girlfriend of the deceased son and, and who works in the diversionary program in the Bronx, became aware, becomes aware of it. And in the first instance, I guess you could say simply, it's a case of hurt feelings. They'd all come hopeful and for at least a good time. And the scene when they heard these words, even though they weren't directed to them directly and they didn't hear them directly. And in fact, they'd been said sometime, sometime in the past. None, nonetheless, uh, they feel as though they've been, they feel those words. Awesome. The uh, So your book is, I guess, to my understanding, uh, a critique of racism in America. Do you want to talk to us? Is that correct? And do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Critique probably is something more, I don't know if critique is the right word, exploration might be. Mm-hmm. I know, I wonder about the word critique, even though I know it's in the promotional material. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm reading it. <laughs> Read it, and I know other people think so. And <laughs> someone who once I've written a book feels that my opinions about the book are about as valid as, as any readers. You know that they well, probably they're probably more familiar with the words more recently than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, I would say explore perhaps more honest than critique, because critique would imply that. The author knows full well what to do about this problem, mm. or, and I sure don't. I'm not. I, I don't. Uh, it's a big problem. We know it's a big problem, and it's very complex into our social order. We had a great author on Friday. I believe it was uh, Jamar Tisby. How to fight racism? That was an interesting discussion. My understanding is in the book that your your well intentioned characters struggle with how to combat it. Is that kind of a way of you? trying to show we, we need to process or deal with racism? Oh, sure. Sure. I'm just, the outcome of the book, though, is without giving everything away in the book, I would say is ambiguous mm. and certainly open to question whether any progress has been made in race relations. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think... Uh... I think James Baldwin would disagree with all of us that nothing has really happened. I think there's a statement that I'm trying to call back that I can't remember a quote of his. Yeah, I, I don't think the world was renewed by anything that happens in this book. It seems to me proper for people of all dispositions and beliefs to examine the question of race in this country, as is obviously happening now in, in the country. But it, I, it, it's proper because I think the most conservative voice, the most person least likely to want to look at these questions, 
would have to admit that race has played a, uh, a heavy part in American society for a very long time. Yeah, even before we were in America, this has been a 450-year problem. If I take my little stab of the character in this book, take their little stab. Well, let me ask you this. The mayor, the the main, or I'm sorry, the main Paul gentleman that we referenced earlier on the page, he was fond of calling himself Trump before Trump. And then uh, there's some other discussion in the notes uh, here for Trump is for a lot of white people, et cetera, et cetera. How big of an influence did today's politics, the last five years of politics and Donald Trump play into mainly the story you wanted to weave in this book? I'm sure, I'm sure the uh, Trump presidency led me back to LePage's words mm. of 2016, who after all he said he was the uh, Trump, be- Trump before Trump. Yeah. Uh, so I would say very substantially. On the other hand, I would say, full confession, this book was written before, say, the events of 2020. It was written before uh, six. COVID and, and George mm-hmm. Floyd. And it, 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 it was uh, written in the rising period of Black Lives Matter, I would say, the, er- the early eruption of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I believe it started in 2004 under, 2014 under Obama, Black Lives Matter came. It's interesting, things are getting worse as opposed to getting better because because we haven't fixed this problem, and th- therein lies uh, the thing. We've had J- James Baldwin uh, discussions on the show with a number of brilliant authors, and it's funny, you can take all of James Baldwin's quotes from it's not funny, actually. I shouldn't characterize it that way. But it, it's interesting that you can take all of his quotes and you can literally take them from, I think, what, 1955 to 1960 or the whole era, whatever he said, and literally just copy and paste them onto today's problems. And, and there you are. What are some other things we can tease out on the book? Are there any teasers you want to share with people? Yeah, something you just said. Another interpretation of this book, I mean, this. Uh, one ho- I hope when I write a book that people will come up with all different ways of thinking about it that I never have. One way that I've thought of it, I don't think this is the only way of, of viewing it, but is are the protagonists of this book, Walter and Charlie, the, the, the married couple, is are they simply using the question of race to solve problems that are for themselves far more personal? And of course, that's a question that could be addressed to many people who have raised their voices in the last couple of years on the subject. Most definitely. the Some other aspects of your book, the Bronx Cares Diversionary Action Program. Is that a real organization? or how, uh, you? Why did you use that in the book and fictional, at what usage? Fictional name for fictional organization. Mm-hmm. However, I would say that years ago, when I did work in the Manhattan courts, not never in the Bronx, there were these uh, diversionary programs designed to provide alternatives to going to jail for young offenders. And I, I have no reason to believe that they, some version did not exist now. Mm-hmm. This one is fictionalized. Oh, there you go. So that's good to know. Let's see. The married couple, the protagonists, Walter Rath and Catherine Gray, 
rehab an old camp and invite 15 carefully selected black and Latino young men from the Bronx to stay there for two years. Do you want to give us any teasers on what they were trying to accomplish and how that sets the tone for the story? Essentially, they're trying to do something to respond to the impossible circumstance of a couple losing their only child. And the reason they're doing this as as an attempt to do something either to keep alive the memory of that child or to come to grips with his loss or to honor his memory or to, for a dozen other things you could probably say about their relationship to their son. (laughs) This was an identifiable thing he thought would be interesting to happen. And Mm. they learn this from his girlfriend in the Bronx, who comes with the kids to Maine. And it is really to assuage their grief, to honor him, and in the end, to try and do something for, what do you say, something selfless, although it's hardly selfless like they were doing, but they would have a selfless aspect. Mm-hmm. They would have to do something that had some good in the world, at least in the case of the wife. The husband doesn't quite feel that way at all. Oh, really? The husband is much more ambivalent about the whole process. He feels it's more for her sake that, oh, that this should happen. He thinks that the, his son had to be kidding which it turns out he probably was, or might have been, when he, uh-huh. when he had the idea. The husband is a harder creature in, in, in some dead rational in a lot of ways and not easily bought into uh, sentimental ventures. What do you think most people are going to come away from with the story? What do you think most people are going to get done when they get done reading the book? That they're gonna, What aspect are they going to take away from most, or do you hope that they might take away from most? I've got a cheap answer for the the last part of that question, which I hope they feel they didn't waste their money. (laughs) I hope they feel they did not waste their money in buying and reading this book or their time. Aside from that, I don't have, I'm not going for a message here. I would like them to feel something. I'd like them to feel something of what, all the characters in there, and there are myriad characters in this book. It's not a long book. It has really quite a number of characters on all sides of a complicated equation. Feel something for them, as if it, uh, witnessing a struggle that has no, not an entirely satisfactory resolution, but nonetheless is somewhat like life. Definitely. It's racism and systematic racism is so integrated into so much of everything we do, including laws and society and and how cities were built, were designed to be racially separate us. There's so much work that we have to do. Everyone needs to take a part in it. So as we go out, give us your last plugs and anything you want and say to invite people to order. Please. I would be out of the camera if I got down on my hands and knees and begged to go buy this book. But I think you'd get something out of it. It's published today, which means you can now get it on Amazon tomorrow or your local bookstore this afternoon if you put down your laptop or wherever you're viewing this and go out and get it. Or if it's a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, I'm sure the book will be around. And if I'm lucky, 
will still have some relevance. I'm sure it will. Sadly, we'll, we'll probably, and you know, there's so much work we need to do. It is going to take hundreds of years to fix. I think some of the systematic racism things that we have. Thank you for being on the show, Jeffrey. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. There you go. And guys, check it out. You can order it up wherever fine books are sold. Land of Cocaine. It's a hardcover. November 2nd, 2021. It is out today. So you want to definitely order that baby up uh, or go to your local bookstore, as Jeffrey said, or wherever you find books are sold. Just stay away those dark alleyways when you buy books. That's the main thing. I got Shiv once in a dark alleyway trying to buy a book off of some guy who's like, you want to buy a book in here? I don't know why that joke's funny. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com. Where it says Chris Voss, hit the bell notification button. Also, go to goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. See everything we're reading and reviewing over there. Go to all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and all those different places on the interwebs and be good to each other. We'll see you guys next time. So, we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO Entrepreneurial Toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. So you can pre-order the book right now wherever fine books are sold, but the best thing to do on getting a pre-order deal is to go to beaconsofleadership.com. That's beaconsofleadership.com. On there, you can find several packages you can take advantage of in ordering the book. And for the same price of what you can get it from someplace else like Amazon, you can get all sorts of extra extra goodies that we've taken and given away, uh, different collectors, limited edition, custom made numbered book plates that are going to be autographed by me. There's all sorts of other goodies that you can get when you buy the book from beaconsofleadership.com. So be sure to go there, check it out or order the book wherever fine books are sold.